Welcome to the Hidden Why Podcast, episode 984. This is my interview with Kai Whiting, our second interview, and we're discussing his new book, Being Better. G'day, Kai. Welcome to the Hidden Why Podcast. Great to have you back on the show. How are you? How are you been? It's really good. I was just thinking about this. That when we last spoke, we I don't think we had had COVID. I think the world was completely different. So it's kind of nice to come back and everything be the same, as in like, your podcast is the same in terms of digging up truth and you know teaching people about different ways of thinking and i'm mm. still working on state projects but the entire world has changed <laughs> so i think it's quite interesting. I, th- I think it was about the time that covid actually was here because I, I have a strange feeling that we talked about that a little bit and yeah you know being locked actually, up in, right. indoors and stuff you're right yeah that's remember right. then i think we must have been talking about the fact that we i was writing with leo the last chapter of the book and reflecting on on COVID, you're absolutely right. You have a better memory than me. I'm I um, No, I had to look it up. <laughs> but <laughs> the, the computer yeah, is my memory. But the world is, uh, be as that may, uh, the world has still changed, right? Because I think at the time when we were Not talking, sure. uh, we were thinking as a temporary, oh yeah, because we were talking about people taking toilet paper and stuff, weren't we? Like people being very selfish and what Probably. should you do as a stoic? And those kind of questions seem quite frivolous in a way. Because it's it was more like a temporary thing, but now it feels like almost you know um, something. I guess you know World War One, World War Two kind of feeling of like this could drag on quite a bit. You know, this isn't mm. just how do I get by, you know, in the next two weeks. It's like how do how does my mind shift through this you know paradigm shift? You know, people hadn't been working at home, people are now working at home. Before, if you worked at home, people thought you were lazy. Now people think that's perfectly normal. Yeah, uh, people thought that you know uh, learning and talking online was kind of just a podcaster kind of thing uh, now it's like prevalent in universities and schools and just about everywhere and you know even history clubs and things and so yeah zoom was probably something you and i were sort of using quite a lot but nobody else really so yeah the whole world has kind of changed and at the same time stayed the same because we're human beings after all it's interesting how it's um yeah i just had a, a chat with a lady this morning about her book and she calls it the new normal um what is your take on it being the new normal? There is an element to that. I think that you can't, you know, the genie's out on the ball. And I've likened it before to when women started to work yeah. um, during the world wars and work in a formal setting. Sorry, they were always working, just unfortunately for them, informally. And, you know, men couldn't then turn around and go, you know, go back to the kitchen or go back to, you know, washing people's clothes, which was which is quite a common thing to do. Or if you're a middle class, you know, go back to your, you know, learning Latin and thinking about having a nice life, but don't really do much, don't really have a career option. And they could no longer say that. And I think the same thing is like, whereas we were before thinking about, we have to commute, you know, a few hours, sometimes a day, or we have to live in a certain place. I think that's different now. You know, it's like, why? You've trusted me. I've done the work. Why Mm. do I now have? live you know for example in downtown sydney why can't i live you know relative you know a couple you know, hour and a half away in the comfort of of a slightly different place i can come into work when i have to do mm. i have to come in every day or do i have to even come every week so i think that's quite a that is that is a new normal i mean yeah. just i don't see how that's going to go back um very easily because it's no. just, just completely mind shift right how do you think like um because you've got a book, new book out that we'll get into. Um, it's called Being Better. So it's on Amazon for everyone listening out there. I'll stick a link in the show notes too. But with this new normal and, and this whole digital culture and working from home, 
Um, I'm fascinated to see how that plays out because I, I've always sort of worked from home anyway. Um, but a big part of my job is dealing with the public and, and dealing with people and I get to do that. So I have that social interaction all the time. Um, and I, I think that that ability to talk to people and reflect and 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 learn through observation and experience with one another is paramount. Do you, do you see that as being a challenge now that this is the new norm where we are doing Zoom calls more, we're having meetings with people more behind you know, our screens rather than being face-to-face? I certainly think so. I've noticed that more in people who are in their teenage years. Hmm. So you, I mean, Leah, Leah I'm, not, I'm not thinking that you're particularly young. I'm not either. But if you were, say, 14 or 15 years old, I think that would be very difficult. Yeah. Because you, you just don't learn the social skills for yeah. Zoom like you do when you're one-on-one. And I do know, you know, people... Uh, friends of mine have children of that age and it's very difficult for them because it's just not learning key you know social skills it's not just about what you can learn in terms of information passed through an audio device some description it is really how one interacts what is personal space you know as a teenage you know as a teenage boy personal space is something different to what it is when you're you know a man and you have to learn that and sometimes you have a few teething problems right <laughs> with, with that i'm sure Teenage women feel the same way. I just can't, can't really speak for them. Um, and they're not really getting that kind of information. They're not getting that 3D experience. And, you know, with a lockdown, lockdown on and off for 18 months, so we're talking about people who are 15. I mean, when they were 13 and a half, that really important chunk is just gone. Hmm. And they're never going to get that back. And that does concern me because, yes, we can educate in terms of get, provide information. But there's all these nuances. There's that face-to-face thing. And although people were saying, oh, you know, they're always on their phones, I mean, that wasn't entirely true. I mean, of course, they were on their phones more than I was because I didn't have a phone. <laughs> phones weren't around, really. But they were, you know, out and about. They were, you know, in the, you know, in the playground or in the park. or, And then they had a year and a half where they couldn't be. Hmm. Um, things like, you know, it sounds silly, but your first girlfriend or your first boyfriend, right? I think that's of fundamental importance, wherever, you know. I'm not saying anything, you know, crazy. You know, oh, I really like you and you really like me. What does that mean? Yeah. And if you're stuck at home with your mom and your dad and you don't really know what that means and you learn, you might learn much later, you may, you may never learn. Yeah. And I think that's the kind of thing we're not reflecting on very much. We're talking a lot about employment and we're talking a lot about kids not being able to go to school per se as in terms of learning information, say maths or English, for example, in the English speaking world. We're not talking about the social skills. Uh, I don't think you have to go to school for that. I think people can be homeschooled, but the, the ability to interact with one's peers and other people has been lost quite substantially. Yeah. And if you haven't got the right environment at home, I'm not sure how you can get that back. No. I mean, I think what we're sort of talking about here is, yes, skills, you know, that you can learn quite fine. I mean, we can we can read, we can write, we can learn things at home. You know, big observation has a big part of learning. But more fundamentally, it's it's probably about character and personality building. Um, that we'll miss out on. And that's, you know, brings me back to stoicism. I think stoicism is, and I, I don't know what the definition is and what it's really all about, but I feel that that's what it's about is helping us, you know, have good morals and uh, mindsets and uh, character building, you know, opportunities. I, I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, be, I mean, the book is called Being Better, Stoicism for a World Worth Living. And so, yes, I, I fundamentally agree with you as, as the stoic framework is that observation is key. Your knowledge is come, comes through what you what you experience and how you manage that. Uh, virtue does not exist in a vacuum. I mean, you can be courageous in your own bedroom. You can make courageous decisions, you know, sitting on a Zoom call. Of course you can. 
but there's so much more that can be said and can be heard and understood mm. when you are in your, you know, in a communal setting that isn't, you know, a two D one, so to speak, right? We yeah. are, you know, Stoics so, so like say we're pro-social, and our ability to reason comes through our, our our capacity to learn when we watch others and we interact with others. And yes, there is some interaction. Of course, there is for us. If there wasn't, we wouldn't be talking. But I would say you and I can have an understanding about each other, but it's harder to have a friendship. It's not impossible, but it's much more difficult because of those nuances about how you know how you think and how you feel, and how you interact. For, for example, body language being a really important element, and you just don't get that on the screen. I, I think I said once that I forget how tall people are <laughs> because yeah. if I see you on the screen, I have no idea how tall you are. Yeah. I know yeah, you're foul, you're thin, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how tall you are. Well, even um, then, we and, could we could obscure that too, couldn't we? Yeah, well, that's true. Exactly, the camera light. And I think with stoicism, like when when we talk about stoicism, you know, reflecting and talking about certain um, key elements or issues, there's a part of that that's great. You can sit there and you can learn and you can be a student, but if you're not actually practicing them, is there any point of learning? And it'd be the same in this off, offline, digit, you know, this digital setting where we're learning and talking and reflecting and doing all this great stuff. But if we don't have that opportunity to put it into practice, which is through experience, and that a big part of that is the social interaction of human beings, then what is the point? Well, Julius Julia Annas, the Stoic uh, contemporary Stoic uh, contemporary philosopher of Stoicism, I'm not sure if she's actually Stoic or not, would agree with you in the sense that virtue is, is a practice, is a persistent and consistent practice of character. It's like a muscle, right? There's only so much bodybuilding magazines you can read. They can be helpful, and but until you pick up the weight, until you go into the gym and you lift it, yeah, it doesn't make any sense, which is, again, what Epictetus says, like, don't show me your weights, show me, show me your shoulders. Right. And that's a very sort of, that's a very stoic understanding of the world. Like you can tell me that you're being virtuous. You can point to all these externals. But what do your shoulders look like? What, you know, what do your legs look like? Are you really running or are you just, you're just saying that you're reading all these magazines? And of course this learning, I mean, it's a, it's a complimentary thing and neither you nor I are saying that stoics are saying don't read about say bodybuilding so you can optimize your performance. But if you're not in the gym and you want to be a bodybuilder, I would say that yes, you're absolutely right. It doesn't make a lot of sense because you're not in the environment where you can work on your shoulders in a very optimal way. Yeah. So yeah, I absolutely agree with you. So what's the uh, what's the solutions do you th propose to uh, help us tackle this other than just getting out there and doing it more in social situations? In terms of whilst in the pandemic or in general? Well, just in general. I mean, if this is the new norm where we and we are we. Um, I think people will automatically, for most people, will, will sort of naturally find their way into society and into social interactions again. I don't think we can, you know, I think if you do sit behind screens too long and don't have that level of interaction, you will um, not go insane, but you'll have levels of depressions and, and you'll have levels of anxiety that don't feel right and, and you'll the solution will be to go out and find those interactions again. I can give you a personal example. So I was telling you about a friend's son and he was spending a lot of time on Fortnite, which is a video oh, game, yeah, that game that people 
it's a very addictive game. And I was saying to him, like, you need to do something else. I'm not saying that you can't do it, but you need to, this. There is more to life. And I uh, got him into uh, calisthenics, which is calisthenics is like the it's kind of like bodybuilding, but without, without weight. So using your own body weight to do things like lift yourself up, you know, you mm. press ups, your pull ups, and a whole load of shapes, body shapes. And so if you can do, I said, you know, you should do that. You know, if you just if you just hunched over <laughs> playing the uh, PlayStation, then you, your body's not going to develop in the right way. And he was like, yeah, it's not that bad. And I said, okay, you know, touch your toes, right? Bend over and touch your toes. He couldn't do it. I said, this is, you know, you're, you're 14 years old. You can't touch your toes, right? So that, that's an example of giving somebody who's quite young a mm. new challenge, a yeah. challenge which cannot be done solely in one's room. <laughs> so it kind of like, in, in our case, I think it's of picking up hobbies again, hobbies that do not involve inherently the computer. So that as soon as I, well, in Portugal where I am at the moment, it's still quite locked down, but I am saying to myself, you know, you've got to get out on your bike because there's no reason why you can't cycle. You don't tend to spend a lot of time in close circles with people if you're cycling. So, like finding hobbies, finding reasons to get out and experience the world, because Instagram a key principle from Zeno, the founder, is live according to nature. So that is one's own nature, like your nature, Lee, my nature as people, but also the nature around you. Hmm. And the problem with being in a room and attached to a screen and not really going out is you do lose contact with reality on some level, right? I, I can say that in terms of my sleeping patterns got worse because it didn't matter anymore if I was up at nine and would, you know, went to bed at say 11 because I had the flexibility now to sort of work around whatever time I wanted to. Hmm. And then I kind of, yeah, I kind of lost touch in a way with, with the normal sort of nine to five job. And there's the good things about that. There's also bad things. One of the things that happened was I actually realized I was working more hours so I thought I was working less hours. I was actually working more. And then I thought, well, is that what I want? It's not a bad thing, but is that is that what I want to encourage? Hmm. Particularly when we come out of the, you know, the COVID pandemic. And the answer was no, because I basically, the vacuum <laughs> that my friends had left because I couldn't see them, how it, was, it was filled with work. It wasn't filled with fun. It wasn't hmm. filled with leisure activities. Did you find the same thing, Lee? Or was you more balanced? No, not, not really. And I think the the... You know the point you made there is that yes, this um, you know adversity um, causes me a lot of frustration and anxiety um, because I'm so disciplined in my routines and that, and and I think part of um, uh, anyone's good life is is having continual um, and consistent practice, and so if suddenly you can't work you know nine to five and that throws out your normal practices, you still have to keep those practices in some shape or form. You can't just operate on chaos i don't think it's um i don't think it's healthy anyway i know artists perhaps operate that way and there's there's certain people that will thrive that way but i think for most people if you don't have good practice in place that's consistent and regular um things will go a little bit pear shape and things won't feel right you know couldn't agree couldn't agree but i think my stomach would tell you that <laughs> i was thinking that i was actually at the i'm on i was at the beach today um, which is empty. It's great. And one level, it's quite sad on another because you think, oh, it must be very difficult for the people here. But yeah, I was thinking my stomach has definitely grown because I have, again, um, I made sure I kept up the work. So that was a consistency, but it wasn't consistent in, in, say, my exercise or the leisure activities or allowing my brain to sort of just 
relax. And that's quite difficult sometimes because, I don't, again, I have to ask you, Lee, but do you find that if you don't give yourself a space, mental space to think, you sometimes don't come up with very good ideas? Or how are yeah, you? yeah. I've, I'm, I really have to, and and I, I, I try my best to do it, and I, I let things go towards the weekends a little bit more, so my practices aren't as strong, but generally I really struggle if I don't have them in place. And when the COVID pandemic had happened, there was some changes um, and there was a period of time where it was uncomfortable and, you know, I just didn't feel right. And uh, I had to get those those good routines back in place. Even though everything else was changed, I could still have, you know, I could still wake up at five o'clock. I didn't have to wake up later. I could still exercise when I woke up. I could still do my journaling, you know, things like that, that, that keep me in good order um, were important. And would you say that the same has happened for your audience? Have you received emails of people saying that they're struggling in that way or? No, not really. No, no. Um, But I would argue that there's a lot of people that don't have that in place. And I don't, I don't claim to be something special or anything like that because it's taken me years and years, you know, before I started this podcast, I, I, I was, had no routine. I'd wake up when I felt like it or when I had to go to work. Um, I'd exercise only when I had to, or, you know, felt like the urge to, I'd, uh, watch mindless TV. I just hadn't have any practices in place. And how do you think philosophy has changed that in you? I don't know if philosophies change that. Um, certainly philosophy helps in many other ways. Um, I think philosophy has helped reinforced the idea that practice is, is good, um, for us. Um, but it hasn't been the, the catalyst for me building my practices. No. And what would you say was the catalyst? Uh, there was, there was something missing from life. You know, there was this, this void, uh, where I needed to find some more fulfillment, find some more purpose, find something with a bit of deeper meaning. And I guess that's why philosophy, uh, scratches that itch cause it, it's so deep. Um, you could go into it for hours, couldn't you? Um, years, <laughs> years, time, years. Well, exactly. Yeah. And I've, you know, I've, um, I, I do read some philosophy and I, I journal as well. And, 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 and that's been a part of a practice that has changed now. So I used to try and journal like, you know, people out there that I listen to, they do this when they journal, they do that when they journal. So I've tried all that and it wasn't until I tried my own thing that I really felt like that practice was now something that actually benefited me. Um, and I think that's like any practice. Like if you go out there and you start something, whether it's exercise, let's say you just go, look, I know this is going to be good for me. I hear the successful people are going out there. They're waking up, they're doing some exercise. Great. Go out there and find something, but don't be disappointed when you find something that you really, you try and do, but you just don't like, you know, go out there and find something you enjoy. Like I like swimming. Like it sounds strange to some people, but I can get up early in winter and go to the pool and swim for half an hour. And that sets my day on fire. Um, and that's the same with journaling. Like I struggled with journaling. Like I gave up for a while last year because I was just going, what's the point of all this? Um, and then I found a little niche there that I started reflecting on my thoughts or reflecting on a pain point or fl- reflecting on something philosophical more so. And that really I found joy in. And so that's now part of my journaling process and it helps me empty my you know, crazy head. Um, and certainly I think that's the idea of practice is to continually improve your practice and continually adjusting don't give up because it's easy to give up but continue to just amend and adjust and improve and that is a whole life's game 
Couldn't, couldn't agree more. In fact, it brings, you, uh, brings me nicely onto the point that we, um, Leo, my co-author, and I had when we started writing uh, Being Better. Because we, we have a joke that self-help uh, books typically aren't actually self-help. They kind of say what you've just said. Like, if you do exactly what I say, you'll get the same results as me. Yeah. And it's really funny because I say things like, oh, Lee, how to, by the way, how tall are you? Just out of interest. 183, I think. Okay, so you're pretty tall. It's <laughs> much taller than me. So we have the example if if I asked you like, Lee, how do you get that toilet paper off the top shelf, right? You say, look, you just stand in the right position, you put your arms up and you grab it, right? Yeah. And I go, okay, I'd follow you. And I, you know, I'm much shorter than you, like, so in the uh, five foot five in the UK terms, right? So one sixty nine. If I do exactly as you tell me, I lift my arms up, I won't get that toilet paper. No. And in the self help book, sometimes it's like. Just believe, you know, just believe that your arms will grow, right? I mean, really, all I need is, is a, you know, a step ladder, yeah. right? And I think it's really important what you just said because the irony of a lot of self-help is that it tells you that you should do exactly as I do, and you'll get the same results. Yeah. When what you've just said is, journaling works for me in this way. If I followed, say, Kai exactly how he journaled, it wouldn't work for me because it just wouldn't help. And so we wanted to write a book which didn't tell you the answers, but gave you the questions that you could ask yourself. So at the end of each chapter, for example, we say, no, why do you think that way? Or how, you know, how would you change your, you know, if you believe this, how would you change your mindset? Hmm. Because I, for example, I really dislike the, the expression, like put, put yourself in somebody else's shoes, right? It's a very anti-stoic expression, actually, because really? if I put, my, yeah, because if I put myself in your shoes, my feet don't fit your shoes. Yeah. Well, I really need to know, Lee, if I want to help you is how do your feet fit in your shoes? That's hmm. an actually more important question. In, in, because if I try to imagine to be you, I'm not you. I'm just basically imagining what I think your position is or your problem is. And then how I would deal with it if I'm what I think you are. Yeah. <laughs> so I, it's either I'm either doing it literally from my own perspective, or I'm doing it from the perspective of who I think you are. Hmm. So I might be like, well, Lee's a swimmer, and he's from Australia, and he's this age, and he's this tall, and therefore he thinks that. And actually, the stoic, the stoic question is, Lee, how do you feel, and what can you do, and what's your skill set, and what's your mindset? And hearing you answer your own questions, that's when you get solutions in stoicism. It's not by following me. That's no. why it's a bad traffic. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 it does. Yeah. So not not necessarily assuming uh, that you're in their shoes, but understanding them. Yeah. And understanding them in their shoes. Yeah. Exactly. So in stoicism, we talk about sympathy, right? Mm. When you once to live, one lives according to nature, what happens is they start to have like sympathy with each other. And they start to harmonize with each other. It's, it's, it's the ability to live in harmony with oneself, harmony mm. with one's community, and harmony with the universe. It's not about trying to be somebody else or think how they think. It's literally saying, okay, how can you and I, Lee, reason with each other? That's why we have Socratic dialogue, right? It's not about me giving you the answers or step one, do this, step two, this. It's you and I finding out together what the answer is to a given yeah. problem. Yeah, and that's why stoicism is all about you know dialogue, which is why podcasts are really helpful because you can say, okay, so what does it mean when you say new normal? What does new or new more mean? And are we looking at someone my age or your age, for example? People say people often say, I don't know if you've noticed, well, I know what it's like to be twenty-one. Well, you do know what it's like to be twenty-one in two thousand and one, but you don't know what it's like to be twenty-one now. 
Yeah. And so that makes me smile when people say, well, I know what it's like to be a teenager. You, you only know what it's like to be a teenager when you were a teenager. You don't know yeah. what it's like to be a teenager 20 years later. Mm. You have no idea. And so I find it quite interesting that we as humans tend to assume a lot of things because we think that we've gone through something similar. And the mm. truth is we might, and uh, we might have, and our advice might be very helpful. But I think it's only helpful if you can give it in a way that the person can use it to find their own answers. Yeah. And that's kind of what the being better is about, really, because it's not about doing what you think is right because it makes you look better or following somebody else's path in order to be like them because you think that's better. It's more like what questions can I ask myself in order to change my mindset, in order to change what you said, my practice, so that ultimately it works for me. Mm. And that is what we argue is what is being better really about. Yeah. With with the um and again going back to that you know the steps to self improvement and bettering yourself, I mean, stoicism is a bit more broadly used and it's not that it's not just hey here's what you can do to make yourself better it's it's, it's concepts I guess that can be applied to situations like what you've just uh, I guess explained to help anyone in any situation is that sort of right is that a good summary? Yeah, it's, it's to help anyone help themselves in order to help themselves. In order to- yeah, in order, literally self, this is the definition of self-help, but that's not what self-help could be. That's the irony of self-help. It's about self-help should be how can you help yourself? But really, it's if you follow me, you'll help yourself. And it, so it, I, I like the irony of that. Uh, basically, Stoicism says, yes, for example, it is about helping yourself. But the reason why you help yourself is to be a better, better person in society. It's mm. not merely to help yourself. If you really think it's only about you, you've missed the point of stoicism. And I think we said this before, but uh, Zeno, the founder's you know, most famous contribution to, to the ancient world was the Republic, his version of the Republic. So the Republic, as the name suggests, was about how, what is the perfect, or that's the wrong word, what does the ideal stoic society look like? He wasn't interested in what the ideal stoic individual looked like. He talked about the community of sages, right? So he talked about the fact that in the community of sages, there's no money, there's no private property because everybody has what they, takes only what they need and works together with all the others through this dialogue like we're having now to work at how best to to construct a society where everyone flourishes. Hmm. And that's the really uh, strange thing for me about life hack tourism. So sort of what we call in Silicon Valley tourism, where it talks about how to get promotion, how to do a you know I don't know a push up in the gym or a hundred push ups in the gym? It's like, no, stoicism is about having a calmer mind. But it's the reason why you have a calmer mind is that you are more proactive in society. You actually can can give more to society because you know who you are. You're not um, you're not worried about trivial matters. You have headspace to do what is right for the right reason for the community in which you live. Mm. And by that, you benefit, right? So that's the that's the thing we found really kind of funny about <laughs> that Stoicism had kind of, I don't know if you know, do you know much about Epicureanism? A little um, bit, yeah. Yeah. So they were very much like, okay, this is very stressful. I, you know, we must retreat to the garden. We do not want to be perturbed by things because it's very important. Pleasure is the most important thing. And basically, they, they tuck themselves away from other people's problems. And it's like a lot of what we call um, baby strokes, like people who come to stoicism but haven't really chewed, chewed the theory, say some things, things like, oh, you know, it's beyond my control, therefore I shouldn't be worried about other people's problems. I need to make sure that I'm calm. I'm not that's Epicureanism. Yeah. <laughs> that's you going, oh, this is too stressful for me right now. And it might be too stressful for you right now. 
based tourism, the idea is not to hide away, but to then build the blocks and put them in place so that it may be stressful today, but tomorrow it's not stressful because mm. you've been able to like grow and develop. So I'll give you uh, an, a, a typical example someone gave me. Oh, the, I think we talked about this before again, with mm. the oceans as you're a swimmer. Oh, there's plastic in the oceans. So I had an argument with somebody, you know, academically speaking, about the fact that they said the ocean, the ocean is, yes, it's plastic, and yes, this is terrible, but it's beyond my control. They said, I can't do anything about the plastics. I don't know why you're so frustrated about the plastics. You know, it's, I don't know why you should be annoyed about the plastics. So, well, I'm not annoyed about the plastics. I'm, I get frustrated, which is not particularly stark. And I, I get frustrated when people say that there's nothing they can do. Um, when, for example, if you drank out of a straw today, that plastic may well go into the ocean. So perhaps, you, you know, if you haven't got a reason, for example, if you're disabled, it's different. But if you're not disabled and you're not particularly young, you, you don't need necessarily a straw, right? Mm. You, you could, there's other ways that you can drink your drink or you can order a different drink. I've ordered other drinks that don't require straws, for example. Um, you can talk to your friends about, you know, is it enough to just throw litter in the right place, is in, in the bin? Is it not better to, you know, not have a plastic bottle? Shouldn't we buy one that, you know, a, 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 shouldn't we buy a plastic bottle that is reusable? Because if I consistently throw away the water bottle instead of having something that I can use over and over again, I'm contributing to the plastic problem. Um, could I not do a degree eventually if that's, if that's what I feel is my calling, so to speak, in engineering and solve that problem that way? Can I not vote for politicians or local people who, or support, you know, beach clear-ups so that we can remove the plastic off the beaches? So that's the stoic sort of response. There's, there's things you can do. Exactly. Why do you think they say there's nothing I can do? Lack of imagination, Lee. Lack of imagination or a, a lack of interest in that, that particular field or, or a feeling I, I actually am helpless? Um, I think the lack of interest stems from a lack of imagination because you say like, oh, I can't even imagine it. Oh, it's not, it's not for me. I do think some people do feel helpless. Um, but I also would say that do they feel the same way if they say, oh, I don't know how to do, they say, oh, I don't know how to drive. Okay, so why don't you take lessons? Do they feel as helpless when it's something, you know, I can't, for example, I can't drive. I don't know how to drive. But I know that if I wanted to learn to drive, I'd have to find money and time and I'd have to go and, you know, put myself in what would be an uncomfortable uh, situation. So I like you cycling, yeah. but I've never driven. I've never driven. So I imagine if you gave me the keys to your car, that would worry me. So and why would it worry me? It would me? worry because me I've too. Never, hmm. <laughs> and rightly so. If you, it would worry me and you because I've never exposed myself to a situation where I've learned to drive, right? I don't know how to, I literally do not know how to drive. So you and I would be like, Kai, do not get in the car, right? That would be a very sensible, stoic approach, right? And if I said, but Lee, I really want to learn. You say, okay, go, you know, go and get some theory lessons and go and get some practical lessons. And, you know, in six months time, I'll, you know, I'll let you drive, you know, depending on what car you have, you might say, I'll let you drive my smaller car or I'll let you drive my, you know, we'll find a smaller car that you can you know, run around in. But you take it, you know, you take it down into small bites, right? You wouldn't mm. be like, okay, today get in my car. <laughs> yeah, that would be really, really unfortunate and very sort of, well, lack of self-control, very unwise, very unjust in the sense that I'm more likely to kill someone in that car. And you would also be responsible if you encouraged me to get in that car. So we, we say those things for like something that's, I think driving a car is actually quite difficult. If you think from someone who's never done it before, yeah. is that, I think it's a lot easier to go on a beach clean Mm. <laughs> so, I mean, you don't need a specific skill to do that. Um, I think it's a mentality shift 
for one, instead of saying, okay, what is it I can't do, you start asking yourself, what can I do? And stoicism is about increasing one's agency, right? Yeah. Fundamentally, how can I do more? Not in terms of time, but more stuff. No, but how can I do more of what I want to do? And what do I need to learn? And who do I need to meet in order to do that? I mean, I'm sure in Australia, you have to correct me, but I'm sure you have quite, you often have beach cleaning operations, right? No doubt, yeah, yeah. And I mean, the beach cleanings, I mean, it's a great example, but I, I, I just, I still wonder, like, if it doesn't come up in conversation, there's plastic in the ocean. Um, most of most people would know that that's, a, that's an issue. Most people probably don't have the time of the day to give it a thought, um, unless it came up in conversation like you and I are having now, and then go, okay, well, there is plastic in the ocean. That's a good point, and maybe I can't do something about it, but actually now listening to these two people talk, yeah, I could probably could make sure I don't use plastic, you know, moving forward, or reduce my pr- plastic consumption and use. That's an easy exactly. step for, for doing something. But there's what about conflict overseas that is is out of our hands, or is that not out of our hands? I mean, um, and and should we be doing something about it, um, or should we not? Depends on our role, right? So I actually just answered this very similar question when somebody was saying to me, "I just written a piece on uh, counterculture at universities, uh, where people, which particularly mob ruled counterculture, where somebody says to make somebody doesn't like, and then a whole mob comes down on them like a ton of bricks." And they're like, there are, somebody said to me literally yesterday, but there are more important things to worry about in life. And they gave me the example of Yemen, the war in Yemen. I'm like, yes, I'm not going to disagree with you that counterculture is less important than the war in Yemen, obviously. However, I'm an academic, right? This is my back garden. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I have seen this in action. So people telling me oh, counterculture is not real. You know, only the right wing believe that, which is ironic because in historically speaking, the left wing perfectly knew well that the council culture existed, right? Ask anybody who didn't like what the church said 50 to 100 years ago, right? So they're like, it, it doesn't exist. I'm like, well, I've seen it with my own eyes. I, 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 can't, I, I have to shut my eyes if I'm going to deny that reality. So I, I do feel that in my role as an academic, I need to speak up against unjust counselling of people. I'm not mm. saying that everybody being counselled is unjust. Obviously, some people really need to be counselled because they have been told many, many times and they just keep carrying on. Mm. But there's many people who are, you know, just said the wrong thing, didn't really, didn't really intend to say it in that way. Their tone was a bit off. They're particularly young or particularly old. They're not used to being called into account for those kind of things. And I was like, yeah, we need to be a bit more flexible. We need to find out what their intentions are. And we need to ask, is this the best way to do it? Now, that's not to deny that Yemen is more important, but do I speak Arabic, for example? No. Do I, do I know anybody in Yemen that I could help? No. Now, then, then there's a case of, that's what game stoicism will tell you, like, what is your role and what are your cap- capabilities? So I think, for example, not being able to speak Arabic is quite a difficult thing to do if I want to help bring peace into the Yemen area, right? So it's also being realistic. I think you're absolutely right, Lee. Like, so if you have a role in, in society um, that uses plastic and there's a problem with plastic in the oceans, which essentially includes everyone, um, then we all should have, have a role in, in doing our best part to... Exactly. To keep it clean. Just, exactly. So I would the only place I didn't really see plastic in my life recently was Bolivia, yeah. Right, it just doesn't really, it doesn't really exist. It's mm-hmm. really strange, but good, but it doesn't really exist. And so, yeah, if somebody says to me, like, I, I, I don't live near a beach, well, yeah, then don't do a beach clean then, <laughs> right? 
but what do you do? Oh, you know, like you said, oh, I make, you know, I, I eat Subway or, you know, McDonald's every week. And, you know, now I've stopped eating McFlurries or I've written to McDonald's. For example, I've recently seen uh, McFlurry completely without the plastic top in Portugal for the first time ever. So obviously people are moving it forward, right? And say, okay, I won't go to this particular shop because I know that they will give me a coffee in a plastic cup. I'll go to a different cafe, which is what, what, as an example, a personal example in London. I really try hard to only go to cafes that are independent because they won't give me a plastic cup, right? So sometimes that's quite difficult and in airport, almost impossible, right? So mm. it's also about being realistic. Like I'm in an airport. You know, can I get? Well, I haven't been to an airport recently, but you know, a year ago, I'm in an airport. What does this mean? Can I get? A, can I get a China cup? No. You know, so well, that brings about, us to a point about you know how far do we push ourselves beyond? Because you say realistic, you know, like, and I guess people that are, are so passionate about it might feel it very stressful, and and um, it might actually do them worse for their health in a situation like at the airport where they just want to drink and there's nothing options other than plastic cups, let's say, um, and they put that pressure on themselves just to say, "Well, I'm just going to refuse." I mean, is there a point where we have to go? Look, actually, let's be kind on ourselves too. We have to do our best, but sometimes we, you know, our best isn't as best it could be, but outside of our control. Yeah. I, I mean, I see it in terms of being wise rather than outside of your control, right? It's just like, right. you know, being 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 kind to yourself is actually wise, right? Yeah, right? Giving yourself the ability to be like, if I had the option to have a China Cup, would I do it? Yes. That's the intention. If you have no choice, there's you're not acting viciously because you don't have you didn't have a choice right no. if you have no choice then you you didn't doesn't say anything about your character is if you for example decided to go and get a coffee with a plastic you know from a plastic cup because you couldn't be bothered to take the cup back to the waitress or the waiter or you didn't want to pay one you know one dollar fifty or three australian dollars you want to pay two two australian dollars that's when you start to say well that does say something about my character yeah. Right, because I'm saying I value my one Australian dollar more than that plastic cup in the ocean. Right, that's more important to me. So th that's the kind of questions you start asking yourself. And that's so it's right and wrong, good and bad, being in, in, integral. You know, I guess having having that level of integrity. This brings us back to a point you made earlier about being, you know, acting or, or behaving in accordance with nature. Um, and this is something I, I have trouble to conceptualize, and maybe you can help me with this, but what what does it mean by acting in accordance with nature? Like I, I had this example that I read through, um, it was one of the, the philosophers there, and, and it was about um, you know a guy that he basically had a, a struggling kid and he was very upset because he couldn't do anything for his kid and, and rather than being there for the kid, he, he just couldn't handle it, so he left. Um, and his actions there is probably not in accordance with the nature as far as leaving Correct. rather than staying there. Can you explain Correct. that for us a little bit? Yeah, so you, I mean, living according to, to nature, and um, we, in chapter one, we talk about something, Leah and I, something quite trivial to, to prove this point. So we talk about, should we drink cow's milk, right? That is right. a question we dedicate a lot of time to in a, in a page and a half. And we ask things like, well, how is the cow treated? Is the cow treated, to, is it able to live according to its own nature? So is the cow, you know, quite happy? you know, in amongst the herd, you know, walking on grass, or is the cow locked up, separated from its calf, separated from the herd, and never seen day daylight, right? Mm. So that's one key question. So the answer is, let's imagine the cow is particularly happy, 
and is you know and i know the cow personally it's like okay should i drink the milk okay well is it my milk to drink right is it mine or is it you know would it be you know borrowing something potentially stealing something but no no it's my milk it's been given to me okay well then perhaps i should drink it right because if if the reason why i would not drink it is because it's unjust to the cow well i've got a perfectly good example where the cow's pretty happy i'm stroking the cow i know the cow quite well right i know that the farmer who looks after this particular cow is a particularly kind individual yeah and then let's take a, a milk you know i take i buy milk from a supermarket hmm. now i'm not sure where it comes from so i do i do some analysis and find out the cow is probably not treated so well okay so do i buy that milk probably not if i value the ability to live according to nature and the cow couldn't live according to nature so maybe i say okay lee i'm not going to stock milk in my own fridge but imagine i go to your house right and you give me a coffee and you put milk in it should i drink it then right and then i have i ask myself the question right so would lee get offended if i threw away the coffee would he take it as a personal insult to him Hmm. and would that ruin our friendship and the answer let's imagine that you really it would it would really <laughs> upset you like you would be like oh my gosh i made him you know a colombian coffee and my friend gave me that coffee i gave him my last you know coffee bean from that packet and i really wanted to extend our friendship and he just threw it away let's imagine you were like that yeah and i'd be like that would be wrong of me if i know that you're like that to be like mm, let's just throw it away right yep it might be better for me to drink that coffee thank you be very gracious to you and say Thank you very much. By the way, I don't often take um, milk in my coffee, but that was delightful. Yeah. So the second time you you give me a coffee, you you don't put milk in it, or you put oat milk in it, right? And yeah. I was gracious to you. You were gracious to me, and we've both worked, you know, in in terms of you know virtue because you've listened to me and you've gone, yeah, okay. You might say, well, why don't you take milk in your coffee? And we might have a really good conversation about what happens to the majority of cows in in the western world where mm. uh, corporate farming as opposed to individuals farming uh produce milk and you and i then might collectively decide that we're not going to drink milk or yeah. we're only going to drink milk from an individual farmer that we know down the road and that's actually much more uh, virtuous right than me just throwing the coffee down down the sink and not explaining my actions the other thing that's important and we talk about in chapter one about the milk is do i like milk mm. am i lactose intolerant so it's that's what stirs that's why I said in the beginning. There's, there's a lot of questions here that you can ask. Now, if if we came to the conclusion through some some good argument or, or fact searching together that you know essentially milk is not the best thing for the, uh, the nature of the cow, um, and we could agree on that, but I still continue to drink milk. Should I feel bad because I know now, or or would I just avoid that and just say, you know what, maybe it's not true. Maybe not all cows are unhappy. Oh, I mean, you can always be. I mean, if we, if you That's know, ignorance. For a fact, right, I mean, you can always be in denial, right? Um, but that but is ignorance still... is the ignorance is an excuse. Like it's it's still then where we're really knowingly acting not in accordance with nature. Ignorance is never a good excuse, right? Because it's a vice. So the opposite, <laughs> and so you can you could be an ignorant, right? That's why I often say to stoic leaning friends, "Oh, now that you know, you can't you can't unknow that." And we laugh about that because it becomes true, right? It's not about beating yourself up about it, right? You might say, mm. well, "I really like milk, right? I just really really like milk, and I just cannot give it up." And, I, and the strokes might say. But no one said you should give it up. They just said that you shouldn't drink it from a commercial farm, right? <laughs> so again, it's not saying that 
Or you might, you might, then they might say, okay, you really want to drink from commercial farms, then you should pressurize commercial farms to treat the cows better, right? Hmm. So then that would enable you to drink that milk. Because we say that like drinking milk or, or not drinking milk, it's not that Stoics drink milk and that non-Stoics don't drink milk. That's a very religious way of looking at it. It's the Stoics will look at all those questions and factor in what's the best response, depending on who they are, where they are. Mm. And if they like something, it, it's uh, really that simple. And we proved that point by in a different chapter. We talked about uh, a yogurt, a, you know, a cow yogurt factory, mm. and how he is the CEO is treating his um, colleagues really, really well. And so we were, we wanted to show that yes, we don't drink milk, but we perfectly can use a great example of a CEO who shares his wealth with his workers yeah. as a great upstanding person who happens to own a yoga factory and the irony was not lost on other people they said that was really funny that we'd done that it was like that was the point we're making it's not that the yogurt or, or milk is bad it's not a vice nor a virtue it's the discussion that one has based on the facts so for example living according to nature what is nature what is nature what is nature teaching us so for example people say that climate change is bad for example i don't know if you've heard that and in Stoicism, climate change is neither good nor bad. It depends. Why is it bad? Why is it good? So if, let's imagine that humans' optimal um, operating temperature was like one degree higher. Then actually climate, climate um, global warming would be great. And we should be burning every fossil fuel on the planet, right? If we could optimize our performance as human beings, right? And that we saw that as the highest value, right? Okay, I'm... I'm not saying it should be, yeah, but let's yeah, imagine yeah. we thought it was. We all collectively agreed that everybody would be biologically better off if the temperature was one degree higher. Then we would have a moral case for burning more fossil fuels. Yeah, It's not the climate change per se that makes it bad or good. It's what it means. So if you have climate changes in global warming and it melts the glaciers and people in Bangladesh get flooded and they become refugees, and we don't want to house them, say, in the UK or Australia. We don't want them in there. But then that becomes a moral imperative, right, to do something. So, okay, if it floods, are you going to welcome them into London and Sydney and New York? And you don't mind that. So it's okay if Bangladesh floods. We just, you know, let it go into the ocean. That's what Stoke starts. That's why I said, like, uh, our book is not about giving you answers. We can't give you answers. We mm. can only give you the questions that you can find your own answers. That, in my books, at least... Uh, literally is the definition of self-help yeah and like where we started this it's it's about questioning i think that's where you start if you want to improve um so wherever you are in life if you're feeling um you know not quite quite where you could be or wanting to be different then the, the best place to start is questioning and I, I guess that's where i started as as we discussed at the start of this conversation was feeling a lack of uh, fulfillment or void and uh, that's when i started questioning things and when you start doing that, yeah, you'll find the little self-helps or the seven steps to success and all those sort of things, which I think you can adapt. And But it's really just helping you question things and giving Absolutely. you ideas and imaginations. And you know what? If that says reach higher and just try and stretch for that toilet paper, try that. If it doesn't really fit or work for you, then that'll at least put you in a direction of, of a practice. Exactly. And that's questioning. And that's that's the, exactly. And I, we say that the quality of your life is, is, is marked by the quality of your questions. So yeah. I think, you know, a person who's having a very difficult life is asking things like, where do I get my next meal? And if you're in a slightly better position, in t not in terms of morally, but in terms of, in t in terms of material wealth, then you're asking different questions like, should I, should I buy, 
you know, should I buy organic food or should I buy fair trade food, right? Hmm. So it, it is really key that, it, you know, especially for um, in moral in the moral sense, like instead of giving up, like we were saying earlier about the plastics, like, well, what can I do? What do I want to be able to do? Hmm. Why? Why is this important? And you might say, well, you know, plastics in the ocean is not really my thing. I actually don't use a lot of plastic. Well, okay, that doesn't have to be, quote, unquote, your thing, right? Just find whatever it is that you need to work on and work on it. The Stoics never said, like, uh, everybody must work in this way and therefore that builds their character. No, everybody, I, I say often that everybody looks in the same direction to Eudaimonia, like in terms of flourishing. We all want the happy life and we all look towards that direction. But Lee, your journey is different to mine. Your path may be steeper. Your, the distance you need to cover may be longer, right? Yeah. Um, it's not that Epitizers and Marcus Aurelius had exactly the same life. They had quite different lives. And it would be unfair to say that Epitizers' life was exactly the same and, or easier than Marcus Aurelius in any mm. way, shape, or form. But they both looked in the same direction. They both looked towards the life phase, what Stokes would call a flourishing life, one that lived in accordance with nature. But the path was, you know, sometimes it was steeper, sometimes it wasn't, sometimes it was longer, sometimes it was it was twisting and turning, and sometimes it's quite a straight path, right? Yeah. And I think that's the problem. If we take self-help and we don't adapt it, we sometimes think that if you do exactly what I say, you're going to have the same results. And you, if you're in Australia and I'm I'm British, we won't have the same results, right? Because we no. come from two different countries and yeah. we have two different societies to navigate. And what Australians think about things is different to what British people think. And if you sell loads of books in Australia, you'll still only sell, what is it, four or five million? <laughs> so, you know, this is the kind of um, thing that we highlight in the book, being better. Being better is fundamentally asking yourself those questions and asking yourself, what is it like to be in your own shoes, right? Not to be in somebody else's. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, we talked about hiding behind screens in this digital world that we're in and isolated, um, being being in that way perhaps without that will sort of stop us from asking those questions because oh actually no it won't stop us from asking the questions but maybe we'll be looking even more externally for for following other people's paths rather than our own if that makes sense i think you're right and that is the that is the problem that um I think we need to address as a society. Like it it's always mean, been a problem, yeah. Like we've well, always looked externally and watched our neighbours and wanted to be like the Joneses. Absolutely, I think it doesn't help though if because when you're in like a if you're in a say a, let's say a Zoom meeting and you're not a person who likes to speak up, right? It's quite hard for you to build your network and find out who you are based on how you operate around other people. It's much easier for you to sort of just keep quiet, right? It's much easier for you to be, you know, in your own little world, which is there's nothing wrong with it. But it is, diff you know, for example, it's much more difficult to get a promotion at work because if you're if you're introverted, people don't necessarily know what you're up to because you don't scream about it. Yeah. It's more extroverted. Can't see it. And whereas yeah. you might brush past in the corridor, someone say, oh, yeah, I can help you. And you do it in your quiet way. You get promoted in that way. That won't happen to you. So I do, I am concerned on a sort of social level about people who aren't quite as extroverted or quite as apt at making uh, what they do known to the, to their colleagues. So I do think you're right that we are taking a lot of social cues of other people and we may not be able to really do the inner work that you were doing with the, with the journaling. And, you, you know, some people might, 
But I don't think necessarily that a 2D world helps you in the same way, unless you're used to thinking. So in my case, I think, you know, yeah. lockdown actually helped my thinking, but because I'm an academic, and so I do a lot of thinking in my own head, and was writing a book at the time. But I, I think that's a privileged life to lead in terms of the ability to think and get paid to think. And I don't know if other people have that privilege. If you see what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Mate, um, being better, good book, out on Amazon right now. What, um, what's the best place for people to get to you? Um, I would say uh, Kai Whiting on Twitter if they like to keep it short, if they like to have a slightly longer conversation with me, stoickai.com. Uh, yeah. The only thing I ask people is actually not necessarily to buy the book, is to um, ask their local library for a copy so that those people who have lost their job in in lockdown um, don't have to feel the need to pay for the book, right? So if you could ask your local library for a copy of Being Better, stirs them for a world worth living in, I think that would be a great thing to do for society, uh, particularly those members who could do with a little bit of stoicism in their life but can't really justify right now the money to pay for their own copy. Yeah, yeah. Good call. Good call. I'll stick the um, yeah the website link in there and and the book link as well, guys. So check it out at thehiddenwire.com. Um, Kai, thanks once again for an incredible conversation. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Lee. Um, we'll talk again, I hope. I hope. I certainly hope so. Guys, check it out at thehiddenwire.com. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there. And also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcasts. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is Lee Martinuzzi until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon